Welcome to the Think Orange podcast. We've been having a lot of conversations at Orange about what it looks like to lead humans. And we know that's not easy when it comes to kids, teenagers, volunteers, and parents. We'll be headed to 14 cities this fall where we'll be talking about that from a practical level. We hope to see you in a city near you. But we want to invite you into some behind-the-scenes conversations as we begin preparing for each and every town that we'll be headed to. So we've invited some of our favorite thinkers. Let's hop into the conversation. All right, welcome back to Think Orange. I am Sojo, and I am sitting here with Reggie Joyner as well as Charlie Condor. And I can't think of two better people to talk about what we're about to dive into because obviously there is tension all throughout culture. So many Gen Z young people walking away from the church or just choosing not to even engage with the church. And so I want to toss uh, this topic out before we get there. Charlie, here's why it's special for you to be at this table. You not only serve all throughout the city, throughout the communities, helping so many people who are hurting. You're a mother to many uh, and truly someone who's been a ministry coach for many people working in ministry. So I can't wait to hear some of your perspectives as we're diving into rethinking your discipleship strategy for the next decade. And Reggie, Obviously, I can't think of anyone that loves to pontificate on strategy more than you and think through all these problems. So I'll say as you're looking at a generation not choosing, I won't say walking away from because a lot of them are just like, I just am not even engaging from the start. You're looking at a generation. What are some of the things that are crossing your mind? I'm still stuck on the word pontificate. Well, tell me, tell me what you mean by that specifically related to me and pontificate. Well, I mean, I just I think you can you you have this beautiful way of thinking through a problem, and sometimes it's extended amounts of time. Well, the sometimes truth is, a, when I'm wrestling with discipleship, I call you know Charlie. I mean, Charlie, Come on. we have a lot of phone calls where I'm just okay, Charlie. I'm working in Wrightsville, Georgia, with kids who just haven't really gathered in a space. And she she is this master of working with rural inner city churches, small churches. She mm-hmm. loves small churches. And she's actually been on the front lines with multiple size churches. So when we talk about discipleship, I love to actually get in a space with Charlie because she cares vehemently. Is that, is it kind of say the word mm-hmm. vehemently? Yeah, 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 about discipleship and kids' faith and on the front lines. And so when you say that I pontificate. I, I'm trying to go, okay, in my world, I think about my grandkids. I think about my adult children. Mm-hmm. I think about their friends. I think about a generation who is becoming disillusioned and disconnecting from the church and from faith. And and we think there actually are some real reasons why, but I think before we even go into some of that, discipleship is a strategy. It's not just you know, this one message or this one decision or this one prayer, it is a process. And everything we're describing in this podcast hints at some of the pieces of that strategy. Mm-hmm. Parents are involved in that strategy. Small group leaders are involved in that strategy. The staff members in your church, they're a part of the strategy. Mm-hmm. And when all those things work together, you start, you know, having a different kind of impact and influence. I do so, love this title. It's an action plan. You know, yeah. We're getting mm-hmm. now into the nuts and bolts of what we're about to do. When you yeah. say the word discipleship and we say a discipleship strategy, it's what are you going to do? Not just talk about it and pontificate. Obviously, I think what's needed for a certain, <laughs> but let's move it to Charlie. Okay, so now let's ask you, what, what are some things you're thinking of when you're thinking of uh, rethinking the discipleship strategy for the next decade? I'm a practical person, so immediately I'm going, but how do we make this happen? Instead of it just being ideology, how do we then get leaders involved, students and parents involved in the action steps? Mm -hmm. 
I think if you had that answer, the world would be like, woohoo, toss the confetti, because isn't that what everybody's looking for? Mm-hmm. That answer. And so how do you start with that? Well, let's start with the question of there's a generation that is disconnected from discipleship. Yes. And they may not even know what that word means. It's, mm-hmm. it's outside of their realm of knowledge. So when you're looking at how we can rethink discipleship strategies for this generation, we got to start with the fact that there's a generation that is like, I don't even know what to think about it. So what would you say to them? I want to talk from my perspective as a mom first. Can I do that? That's perfect. So um, I have two daughters, one biological, one that we adopted, and we didn't adopt the second one until she was 17. Mm. So my daughter that grew up in church with me, who was a small group leader, who served weekly at a soup kitchen, who did all of these things, right, service initiatives within the church and the community— She's a kid who shows up at church now randomly. She's a kid who engages in a faith now. Uh, my daughter that uh, we were so blessed with at seven, when she was 17 participated in church. Mm. She never once served. She's never been to a soup kitchen. She's never been a small group leader. She's never sat in a preschool classroom and loved those students and taught them the gospel, right? And she has no desire, no desire. She sees the church through a lens that my other daughter does not. And I really believe it's because of how her faith was not activated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. She was just a consumer. She went to youth group. She went on retreats. But none of those things activated her faith. Mm. You, said, you said a key word. You said the word serve. One of your daughters had an opportunity to serve, and the other one did not have a chance to serve. I think we're now getting somewhere when it comes yeah. to discipleship. Right? I, I think you said while I go, what are the reasons why kids have disconnected their faith? I think because of the way we've disconnected something, if we're honest as leaders with a strategy who are supposed to actually be championing the Great Commission, we have disconnected the Great Commission from the Great Commandment. That's good. Mm -hmm. We have taken the idea of let's evangelize the world, and we've separated it from let's love our neighbor. Mm. And I think somewhere in the context of this, we cannot make disciples if we don't love our neighbor. And Mm -hmm. I think... When the average teenager, whether they're Gen Z or whether they're, you know, my generation of teenagers, when they experience what God can do through them and what God wants to do in their life as they serve other people, God becomes more real. And and I think when it is only us, again, trying to convince them to believe what we believe and we're not inviting them to actually participate— right then we are doing them a disservice because we're the ones disconnecting mm. the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Mm. And we can't do that. So when it comes to this this generation that feels like uh, how you love me, not just me, I'm also how you love my friends, mm-hmm. how you love those that I'm walking with, some that are interested in church, some that are not interested in church. What are some ways that you can say that we could be thinking about that or rethinking about how we can serve and love and help those around us who may not even be attending our programs? Mm. I think being active in your community and letting people see that you do have a heart for folks that you've talked about in your church, that you say you care about, but then they never see you with them, Mm -hmm. being with them, loving them. And it's not just doing that as a church, but it's doing that as a family, as a, you know, as a student individual, Mm -hmm. right? I think it just is so much more than just the church serving. Mm, it's like good. families being involved and making that a core piece of your family DNA 
I mean, that really matters. It matters. It yeah, was, it, 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 it's funny. I used to go to games uh, and saw my students there. A lot of times they'd be with people I'd never seen before. They're mm-hmm. with their friends at their school. And it was interesting to be able to say, hey, I, I got your I got your candy when I would catch them in line. But it was another thing to say, oh, and I got his too. Mm-hmm. And simply doing for their friend, loving their friend and saying, I noticed him. I may not know his name, but I know that I can do for him. Went a long way. And a lot of times those people end up popping up in the program and saying, hey, I saw yeah. you once again. You bought me the Snickers. <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the reasons we're going to 14 cities to actually engage churches around the country is because we all have this sense, everyone listening to this, all of us in this organization and so many organizations, that we have this brand new opportunity to reset some things, mm-hmm. to restart how we disciple in a way that will engage the imagination of a generation who, for whatever reason, maybe sees some of what we've done in the past as not being authentic and not being genuinely connected to people and caring for people. I mean, I can go way back in time. I can go to stories like, you know, Jeffrey Canada, who was an education reformer in New York, who walked away from his grandfather's church in the 60s and 70s because he could not reconcile what his church was saying on Sunday morning and the conditions of the community Mm -hmm. around him. And until his you know, leaders in his community started caring for the community, he could not embrace their version of Christianity or their their version of church. Mm. And and we can talk about, you know, all the baggage that words have, like social justice and, you know, truth versus, you know, love. And, and we can get into debates on semantics. But at the end of the day, what Jesus actually stepped on the planet to prove was that he loved us and he gave his life for us. And we can turn up the volume on sin, and we can turn up the volume on, you know, the fact that we need Jesus and the importance of the gospel and the cross and forgiveness and all of those things. But without actually faith shaping how we serve each other and care for each other, faith without works, again, is dead. Mm. So, I mean— Right? Yes. I like I want to amen all of those things. And as someone who cares and leads in the next generation, why are we not doing that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like that's the answer, right? Mm-hmm. And if that is a core principle of your student ministry, your kids' ministry, your family ministry strategy, it shouldn't be so hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. Now let me let me role play. Yep, role play. The Gen Z student. Yep. Right now who's okay. saying, I don't need to go to your church to serve my community. Mm-hmm. Yep. What do you say to that Gen Z student? Well, if you don't go to my church, then as a youth pastor, I am not seen as successful to the elders and to the deacons and to the pastor <laughs> who measure my success by mm. whether or not you come to our church. Perfect thing to say so to I kid. need to convince you that you can only serve if you come to my church. Or guess what? Wow. I can take the students that I have mm. who are coming, who are participating, and give them more opportunities to actually experience what God wants to do through them. That's good. Yes. And trust me, if we start engaging the students who are present into a strategy where they are actually becoming what Jesus designed and created them to be, we will solve three fundamental issues that Kara Powell just wrote about in Three Big Questions. Mm-hmm. Think about it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, in her book, she basically says— yeah. We all have this core issue of identity, mm-hmm. belonging, and purpose. Mm-hmm. I don't think you teach no. to solve those issues. Mm. I think you serve to solve those issues. Wow. If I start doing the thing that God wired me to do and created me to do, 
guess what? It affects my identity. If I start doing the things that God created me to do with other people, which is kind of the purpose of the church, and I experience that in the way God designed, then I experience belonging. I become a part of this family that gets this, that sees the world this way. And? And? Well, and it changes how people see them. 100%. And that matters, right? The students, how they see themselves is reflected in other people. And when they begin doing all of those things, the world sees them differently. The church sees them. Your mission committee. I mean, all the committees begin to look at them in a different way. I mean, we, we have spent an entire you know year or two working through 10 by 10 and with Fuller and with Orange and with other organizations talking about identity, identity purpose, and belonging and why those should be shaped by mm-hmm. your discipleship and your faith. And I just think the fastest way to get there is not through simply telling kids, but giving kids an opportunity to serve and to do that in so many ways. It's, it's the difference in a spectator version and actually inviting them into the game. Because when they play the game, they experience the win, they experience the rush, they experience the, the, the fullness of life in a different way than mm-hmm. if they're just watching. Here's why I love what you just said, because you're... You're saying that although you can serve somewhere else mm-hmm. and you could experience it and say it feels good in the moment, uh, when you're serving alongside a leader who's able to begin to give context and say this is directly this directly correlates with your identity, your belonging, and your purpose, it's why so many uh, confused kids try to serve and go to yeah. a soup kitchen and wonder why they still feel empty. Yes. And they're serving and they're serving and they're serving and you're seeing them. I'm like, you're out here doing great, great work, but for some reason you're still just as confused. And what you just articulated is it's not just about serving. It is a big piece, but if there's no one there to help them understand why serving is helping them grow, then a lot of times they can just keep giving and giving, and giving and wondering why they're on E. I'm going to say it one more way and then I'm going to let Charlie jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. I think something fundamentally shifts and changes. When you not only see your need of Jesus because you have sin in your life, but when you begin to see that he cared so much about you because you were made in the image of God, and when you start looking at other people as if they're made in the image of God, you're not serving them simply because you are a hero. You're serving them because there's something unbelievably powerful Mm -hmm. about seeing their dignity and seeing Mm -hmm. their value and seeing their worth because they're made in God's image. And some of the greatest leaders of culture and of history will tell all of us, when people start seeing each other like they're made in the image of God and treating them that way, Mm -hmm. it changes everything. Mm -hmm. Mm. Changes communities, changes homes. Yeah, It definitely changes students and kids. I mean, they begin to talk different, walk different, and people begin to wonder, why do you have so much influence? And it's because they're beginning to see people the way that God has designed us to see one another. And... Imagine the impact we have as a church. But I even think in the family, that changes your family dynamic too, right? Mm-hmm. When parents begin to understand that maybe the serving piece is a part of their student's identity and purpose, and they've never known that before, right? And I, I talk to parents all the time. Um, I have, you know, in my mom friend group, right? <laughs> and they talk about, oh, my kid's really struggling. They don't know who they are. They're like trying all these things. And there's all this worry about that. But if the family understood that a student's identity and purpose could be wrapped up in serving, right, and could be part of that DNA, wouldn't that engage them more too and allow the family then to begin to see people with dignity, the identity of God and others? I just, what yeah. a catalyst, right? I like, can you imagine all yeah. the change that would happen? Yeah. Okay, so Charlie, if 
to the parents who are saying, I send my kid to a mission trip. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a legit, it's, it's I paid a lot great, of money. Yes. And, and, uh, and he raised, but, but he are they raised a lot them, of money. But are they sending them to the mission trip so they'll feel better about themselves? Yes. Are they sending them to the mission trip so they can actually be fascinated with other people creating God's image and actually understand that there's something that happens to them, not for the other people they're serving, but in them when they actually participate. Oh, what a wonderful question to ask. That's but, true. But why aren't parents going on the <laughs> mission good. trip, Another right? Another great question. To be with them and to speak truth over their student and while they're there serving and being a part of whatever mission you're there for, right? And, and, and yeah. are there other missions, localized missions, that parents could do alongside their kids or students that... You do not need to leave your parking lot. To mm-hmm. go on a mission trip. And There's it, so much. And mm-hmm. it changes the dynamic of your relationship with whoever you serve with. So mm-hmm. if you want to change the dynamic of your family, serve together yep. and do that together. And I also feel like, you know, churches who are listening to this, again, we're back to resetting, restarting. And this isn't new information. We've all been talking about how do we create models where serving is a priority? What does that look like? What, what does it mean in the context of, of this, this generation and their faith? But I think we have a new chance. Mm-hmm. I think we have a brand new opportunity in the light of everything that's happened to measure success by a different yardstick. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we've been measuring success by how many show up, what do we start measuring success by how many of the kids who show up are we engaging to show up for others? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's get really honest and and set this as a new priority for the model of what youth ministry and kids ministry is going to look like. I mean, because I think, again, it will shape the faith of a kid like nothing we say, nothing we sing mm-hmm. in, a, in, a different, in a whole different context. Okay, but as a youth pastor of 20 years, yeah. I, I say this with compassion. So I'm saying yeah. this with love. There is no sermon, no retreat that I planned, all the budget money that I've spent. None of that has a life change than making serving a priority and in the DNA of your ministry. Mm-hmm. I agree. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to say that as a youth pastor, right? right. Because I've planned some terrific events. Okay. Yeah. I have given some great sermons. Yep. But there's a part of like ego and humility that you've got to kind of put that to the side, right? Mm-hmm. Not kind of, you have to. Yeah. And really realize, hey, that's not the faith that's going to sustain these students when they're 25 and 26. Mm-hmm. Yep. If we want a faith that leads into the future with the student, serving has to be at the heart of it. I, I have so many, oh gosh, so many flashbacks of, of ministry situations where I wish I could say the curriculum, the sermon, the worship song, those were the life-changing things that just made the difference. And those are all a part of the strategy. I mean, mm-hmm. we've got to, you know, speak truth. We have to help kids understand you know, the scriptures. We have to give them opportunities to collectively worship together. But worship is not simply about the music. Mm-hmm. Worship mm-hmm. is about your life and investing in the, in the lives of those around you. And the only other thing that I would say related to this is when I look around at a generation that is being invited and engaging in things sometimes that are problematic in our culture or that are I just want to say evil sometimes. It's because if, if we don't recognize that evil has a strategy mm. and that there is this sense in which I think evil wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy what? 
the identity, mm-hmm. the sense of belonging, the sense of purpose a kid has. So when they invite someone into that space or, you know, there are forces engaging with kids and teenagers to take them down a road to give them a false sense of identity, belonging, purpose, I oftentimes think about us as stewards of our buildings and our resources mm-hmm. and our ministries. What would it look like if good had a better strategy than evil? Mm. But we've got to think in terms of that. It's good. Because I do think that there is, is a real enemy. And the common enemy isn't, it isn't culture. It right. isn't other churches that are getting the kids to come to their churches instead of ours. You know, the common enemy is a real source or force of, of evil that wants to steal, kill, and destroy their potential. Okay, so I'm going to go into the nuts and bolts of this. I'm going to say uh, when we're looking at does rethinking the discipleship strategy— I'm holding my hand right now, for those who can't see, because they're just listening, a phone, your phone, Reggie. So uh, a lot of times we say on stage, imagine if Paul had a phone. Yeah. But this is us having to rethink a discipleship strategy. Is there good that can happen? We, I, I think what, what's interesting about cell phones in the church is there's a love-hate relationship we have. Yep. Right, put your phones in the, in, in the baseball cap and nobody look at them for the sure. next hour or two hours. Obviously, we have that tension. But there's also six other days in the week, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that we understand that this phone could be our friend. Discuss some of, ha- some of the ways that we are having to rethink our discipleship strategy when it comes to technology. Yeah. People, the phone is not the enemy. I, 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 I agree. I like crack up when they're like, every conversation in a youth pastor Facebook group is about what do you do with their cell phones? Mm-hmm. What do you what do you do with them? And I'm like, I would hope you're training them or showing them ways to use their cell phone mm. to be an activator in their faith. I mean, there's just so much you can do. I have a student who built a prayer chapel in his Minecraft. Game. Wow. Wow. The youth pastor now gives that student money to help build out his chapel because he now has a digital mission field. Wow. So why are we not doing more of that? Because every student, and I am of a certain age, right? But I don't have influence in that world. They do. So why are we not helping them understand and teach them to use that influence to serve others? And that could be with their words. It could be with their ideas. I mean, there's just so many opportunities for them to, I don't know. I just, no, I, I get so frustrated when people say that the phone is dangerous. And I'm like, no, 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 it's great. Video games are great because you want to know why it creates community. Well, and it made me think, it was what you said, <laughs> that, 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 that evil has a strategy. Yeah. And you yeah. can see other right. strategies yeah. that are being played through the phone. Sure. But yeah. do we see enough good strategies being? Well, see, the problem is, you know, I'm old. So I have context. So I, said, I remember. I, like I, re- I remember. I remember when television first came out in a really big way, and people were anti-TV. What an exciting! And like, time. if you put a TV in your home, you've got the tool of Satan in your house. And then all of a sudden, all of a the sudden, there were guess what? Leaders in positive spaces mm-hmm. helping educate kids using the same thing that some people thought was evil. Mm for the purpose of good. So technology in and, in and of itself isn't evil or good. It's how we use it. Mm-hmm. And again, if we remember the image of God principle and we ask ourselves the question, are we using technology to humanize and to help treat people a certain way and to connect people relationally? Or are we using it to dehumanize? That kind of gives us a standard for how the usage is, is actually taking place in, in the context of, of the, the technology that we use. So, There is not going to be an effective discipleship model going forward that doesn't respect the use of technology Mm. and the use of digital 
tools and resources mm-hmm. because we are after an everyday faith. Mm. Right. And this is every day. Yep. Mm. So how are we leveraging this to start the conversations, to keep the conversations going, to reinforce the conversations, to connect people? I mean, there are a lot of questions we've got to ask about how we use it. And these are things that you're already asking yourselves as you guys are crafting digital resources to create, help foster these conversations that are happening in communities and in churches all around, right? But why are we not training and and helping and equipping parents and leaders to understand that? Mm -hmm. I don't, oh, there's just so much you can do Mm -hmm. this every day. There's just so much in your everyday faith that can manufacture a faith for a lifetime, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Reggie, I want you to speak a little bit on the fact that um, when it comes to serving, how can we continue to empower this next generation so that they understand I won't say what it could do for them, but if they can understand the the overall perspective as to like what what's what we mean when we say the word serve. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean I, I think there there is a lot of reimagining why we're inviting a generation to serve. I love how you said the Great Commission, Great yeah. Commandment. I really mm-hmm. think there's is so I, much I think most of us don't realize what serving each other does for our soul and what it does for our perspective as it relates to the world around us and how loving your neighbor becomes such a powerful transformation thing. Mm -hmm. Because if, let me say it this way, when I showed up in Wrightsville, small rural town, I didn't know how to start. I had multiple churches in that area and space who were all doing their own thing. And as I would visit the churches, there were no teenagers. Mm. It was mostly an aging congregation. As a matter of fact, I like going to a few of them because I was the youngest person in the room. <laughs> and and as, I, as I started working with some of these churches, I realized, I, you know, if I'm going to start something that catches the imagination of, of youth and teenagers, I'm going to have to do it outside these buildings, but connect all of these churches together for the, the cause mm-hmm. of engaging, like you said, engaging the imagination of teenagers. And so we started by simply making a list of 40 students in the town that participate in the school that leaders recommended to be part of a, a student leadership group. Mm. And to make a long story short, for the first year, that's all we did. We gathered with those 40 students and we gave them projects and things to do for each other and do for the community. And all of a sudden, I began to see in their lives a different sense of worth, a different sense of belonging, a different sense of identity. And we, we weren't doing anything, you know, I think profound. We were just inviting them to participate. Mm-hmm. And something started changing in them and around them because they actually began to believe that God could do something through them. Charlie, you're a walking example of this. You're not just mm-hmm. serving within the church walls. You're serving all throughout the community. What is it like really beginning to shed that light to students and say, hey, there's so much more that you can do beyond just a Sunday? Uh, but all throughout the week, there's more opportunities in your community in town. I think that's what makes it so special watching your journey. I think mutual aid matters and teaching students what is mutual aid, right? Like mm. we give, other people give, some take, and it doesn't have to be part of a program. It doesn't have to be part of something specific. But what does it look like to buy the Snickers bar for the kid in line, mm-hmm. right? What does it look like to pay off the lunch tab of students, mm. right? So they're not just getting the PB&J and, and an apple, right? Mm. Like, what does it look like to really have mutual aid in your community? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, is I don't 
think the leader needs to really come up with anything. I think the leader needs to sit and talk to students. They are more active and they are more aware of what is happening in the world True. than any of these youth leaders. Not mm-hmm. any. I'm not going to say any because that feels very. Sure. But. but <laughs> student, any old leader. Like okay. Me, yeah. yeah well, I was thinking like sure. me too, but also they know. And they know what's up, right? Mm -hmm. So why are we saying, well, we're going to do this activity? No. Why are we not asking students, hey, what are you passionate about? Mm -hmm. What have you seen in the community that needs to be changing? Mm -hmm. What in your school needs to change? How can we support you in these endeavors? Mm. Right? So I think our job should be supporting students and what they want to be a part of. I think when uh, when we when we're getting into these cities and we're gathering as Orange Tour, city to city, no matter where it is, and it could be Austin, it could be San Diego. And getting a chance to ask this question, what is discipleship in the next decade? I mean, I mm-hmm. can only imagine the gold that we'll all be able to to be able to uh, think together as we're processing this type of question, right? The reason I love the tour is because we get a chance to practice loving your neighbor. It's good. Because we have to love other churches who are our neighbors who don't believe what we believe theologically. And I don't think this generation will trust us when we say we love our neighbor if we can't even love each other. Mm. And there's something powerful about, you know, the Baptists and the Methodists and the Catholics and the Presbyterians and the Episcopals and the Church of God and the Assembly of God and the Church of Nazarene all being in the same room Mm. and realizing something. Most of the people that are in that room that are in the denomination they are in did not grow up in that denomination. Mm which means most of the kids in their churches that are growing up in their denomination will one day go to another denomination. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason this is so important is because if we are against each other in our denominations, then we're beginning to send a message to a kid or teenager, if they ever leave our church, they shouldn't go in the Mm -hmm. other spaces because they can't trust them either. Mm -hmm. Something happens when churches decide Jesus is more important than their denomination, and they start working together to serve their communities. Because if a church would simply work beside another church or other churches to do something meaningful in their community, it sends a message to everyone Mm -hmm. that the church is actually what Jesus and God decided to use on this planet to change the world. And I, I just feel like that somewhere in the context of this, there's a message for churches to work together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not to work against each other. Yep. Richie, I love, I love how you articulate that. It, it, you're saying it's not fruitful for us to focus on what culture might have done as to why so many, I'll be specific, Gen Z students are not even engaged at all. That's right. where we started mm-hmm. and we're coming all the way back around. It's not fruitful for us to just say, well, it's because of that, 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 that they're doing but us say, what can we do differently? Yeah, okay. I want to say it one more way, and then mm-hmm. I want Charlie to jump in for just a second and see if this makes sense. If a church is trying to serve their community to only change the reputation of their church, Gen Z will smell it. That's good. If the church is actually genuinely helping their community, other churches, do the thing that Jesus commanded us to do when he said, love your neighbor, then that will be authentic. But I'm not going to trust it if you're only doing it by yourself for the reputation of your church. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it with other churches, then I will go, oh, so your agenda, your motive must really be the great commandment. Mm. And we always win. We always win 
as churches when we help other churches in our community win. Mm -hmm. And we do it together. Charlie, I don't know how you follow that. I don't know either, but (laughs) I I do. The word motive, right? Mm. That's what matters, right? Because Gen Z, ooh, they get sniff it out, right? Like what are you talking about? So your motive has to be authentic. And all that you do has to be authentic. And Mm. you must lead with love and love all. Because Mm. if you're not doing that, they're not going to show up. Mm. There's so many things about Charlie I wish I had time to talk about. One of the things she's helped me in the t- town of Wrightsville, and she's spoken to the student, you know, students there and some of the parents there and different things. And when they hear Charlie communicate, they can tell that she's real and that mm-hmm. she cares and you that can. she's lived it. And mm-hmm. that, you know, her, you know, her complexity and her faith, you know, kind of go hand in hand because I think sometimes we have this idealistic, you know, message that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to work out. But she she actually rolls up her sleeves and she, you know, walks beside the leaders and walks beside the students in a way that I wish other leaders could see. Because I think if they could watch it, they would know, oh, this isn't about my presentation. This isn't about, you know, again, like you said, creating the best retreat or the best camp, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the in the year for the kids and students. This really is about a relationship and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And there is no better way to demonstrate that than by serving together. Mm. Well, listen, I think the reason why we roll up our sleeves and get on the bus is so that we can get a chance to go town to town and not just talk about the tensions that they're navigating through or how to create healthy teams that we've talked about or even how to make sure volunteer culture. But it's also to say, hey, we need to look in the next 10 years Mm. and say, what does it take to rethink discipleship and how we are teaching a generation to engage in love one another. So, Charlie, Reggie, thank you so much for sharing the gold and wisdom you have. We will continue to think on. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Think Orange Podcast. We hope to continue this conversation on tour in a city near you. Head on over to orangetour.org and we can't wait to see you soon. 